So I'm going to invite Jeremy up now, and Jeremy is going to read for us. He's going to read our scripture today, which is Joshua 2. Okay, so today's reading is from uh, Joshua chapter 2. Is that picking up? Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of an innkeeper named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me. But I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Sea of Reeds for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now, the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, Their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. 
that if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Thanks be to God. So I've told you before how I worked in the winter night shelter for a season. I had previously volunteered with the homeless and I had really enjoyed this. But when I felt God calling me to work with the winter night shelter, I really resisted as I thought it would be too difficult, too emotionally draining. And I didn't think I had the skills or emotional resilience for the role. But it was what God wanted. And despite my best evasive efforts, God made it happen. And when I started work there, I was completely and utterly dependent on the Lord. Dependent on um, the Lord to look after me. Um, dependent on just everything of the Lord. And it just... I had never actually quite realized before what it meant to be that completely dependent on God. And what I learned there is actually that I never need to worry that I am incapable. For if God has sent you into a situation, God always goes before you preparing the way for you, making it safe, equipping you with people and with resources. Now, my time at the winter night shelter was not easy. It was really tough. But it was also the time when I felt closest to God. I didn't need to worry about what to say to people, because that was something I had thought. I thought, what will I say to people? How will I be able to relate to folk? You know, this is people that are actually, this is at their, at their worst point in their whole life having to come here. What will I say to them? But I didn't need to worry about what to say to them because Jesus was there. Jesus was walking right beside me. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus spoke the words through me that I needed to say. I didn't need to worry about how I'd cope with helping, you know, drug users clean and tend to their wounds and ulcers because thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' hands became my hands. And the conversations about God they were so honest and they were so raw because we were all desperate. We were all dependent on God. 
And that connection with their guests, it was honest and it was real and God was working, moving among us. And I remember one time, you know, speaking with a guest who had just come out of prison and he found himself at the night shelter. He had nowhere to go. And he was, he was, a, he was a hard man. He really was. Um, but through conversation, I found out that he grew up in Coatbridge. It's amazing the people you meet for Coatbridge. <laughs> so he grew up in Coatbridge, just like me. And that he had actually lived in the same street as my granny. And this connected us. And we see each other. You know, we see each other, fully see each other. Because we realized we were the same age. And we probably had played together in the street when we were wee kids. And we had a good laugh. We were reminiscing about familiar places and people that we knew. And he was a tough guy. He was a hard man. And he had done terrible things and he'd had such a hard life. But you could sense how vulnerable he felt just out of prison and nowhere to go. And so that wee connection, that wee connection made it just a bit easier, allowing him to be able to sleep that night. God had went before me. God had went before him, paving the way. And it might seem like nothing, but that's still with me now. The winter night shelter was a place that I thought I'd be in danger. I'd be out of place. I'd be out of my depth. And yes, it was difficult, but I always felt safe. I always felt equipped because God made it so. And it helped me to understand why Jesus ministered to the people on the margins, to the sinners, to those seen as outcasts. For I felt his love for every single guest we had. It was, it was so powerful. I have never felt love like it. And I wouldn't have expected it. But I encountered God every night that I worked in that place. Now, the spies that Joshua sent out to check out the promised land, Canaan, especially Jericho, they must have been a bit worried about the task that Joshua had given them, worried that it was going to go wrong, worried about their safety if they were found out and caught, you know, worried that they're going to stand out and be out of place. And they would have been right to be worried because they did stand out because they were noticed. For in verse 2, it says, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy our land. But God was in it. God was already ahead of them, paving the way and had provided safety in the most unlikely of places and through the most unlikely of people. The two spies went and entered the house of Rahab. Now, in Jeremy's um, reading, it was innkeeper 
an innkeeper named Rahab. But in most um, accounts, it is a prostitute named Rahab. <laughs> the two spies went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. Now the text by saying entered the house of carefully avoids implying any sexual liaisons between the spies and their hostess Rahab. If the intention was to imply sexual relations, there would be no intermediate term such as the house of used. Because when Samson visited a prostitute in Judges 16, verse 1, he went in to spend the night with her. In the case of the spies, the last verb in the verse, stayed there, is not used for sexual relations without the occurrence of the preposition with, followed by the designation of a partner. So, if they weren't going for relations... Why would the spies go and stay in the house of a prostitute? Now, the house may have been, as some commentators suggest, more of a tavern or a hostel with many visitors, maybe an inn. Um, and some commentators and translators have tried to rescue Rahab's reputation by saying she wasn't a prostitute, but she was an innkeeper, or maybe more like the landlady of a B&B. <laughs> but um, I don't think um, that actually we need to um, rescue Rahab's reputation. Because the thing about it is, is there isn't any judgment within the text. There's no judgment about Rahab's profession. In all honesty, to find out what is really happening in a community, actually, you maybe do have to go to the shadier places in town. You know, it might be, you know, the wee local, you know, old man's pub, or in the case of the spies, to the local brothel. Rahab's house would have been a public place where people from all walks of life visiting. Maybe not telling people that they're going, but they were going. And strangers visiting a town could visit a brothel without questions. And the spies probably thought it would have been the best place where they could go unnoticed, where they could just be mistaken for one of Rahab's clients. But they were noticed, and it is through Rahab that God works to protect the spies. Rahab, a prostitute and a Canaanite, is the last person people would imagine God working through. But as I said, there is no judgment within the text. We don't know why Rahab is a prostitute. Perhaps she's a widow. In some societies, part of the curse of widowhood and the attendant loss of status, income and protection is that a woman has no other alternative but to offer the only thing that many men want from women. Perhaps, as some uh, commentators have said, she is a sacred prostitute uh, of one of the Canaanite fertility shrines. This, though, is unlikely, as the Hebrew word used to describe Rahab in the text is zona, which means harlot or prostitute. 
And the Hebrew word to describe the temple prostitutes was uh, Quidesha. So all we know is, is that she was a prostitute. And it is through her that God works to save the spies. So when the king sends a message to Rahab to bring out the spies, she lies and says that they've already left, even though she has hidden them in the roof. She's a Canaanite, so why would she lie to her king? Why would she try and save the Israelite spies? She lies to save the spies because she has heard about God, about the power and the majesty of God. And this is the most important part of the story. Not what she does for a living, but how she has heard and believes about God. She might be an immoral pagan, but she has heard about the one true God and she believes, she has faith. And it is because of her, that her path, because of her, that God has put her on the path of the spies. It is because of her faith that God uses her to save the spies. God uses the most unlikely people, people with checkered pasts, to accomplish his great works. Now, Rahab has heard about the mighty acts of God. And it is amazing that Rahab has heard about God and that she believes. She's living in a pagan country, in a pagan city, in a, in a pagan culture. Stories about the Israelites will have been circulating for some time. And probably from their positioning now, it was evident that they were going to invade. And living on the wall, Rahab will have felt vulnerable. And she may well have shared the same fears as her fellow Canaanites, worried about the invasion. But the difference in Rahab is, is that she has heard about God and she believes. In verse 8 to 10, it says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you have, for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. This is the basis of her faith. She has heard about the mighty acts of God. And this is a normal way to come to faith. Biblical faith is based on at least some knowledge, data, and evidence. And faith then grows out of hearing what God has done for his people. That is why our testimonies are so important. Rahab confesses the majesty of God in verse 11. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This is a conviction of faith. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. 
It's amazing. This pagan, this Canaanite prostitute holds to the supremacy of God. And because of this, Rahab then seeks the mercy of God. In verse 12 to 13, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Now, the word translated as kindness is the Hebrew word hesed, and it's a rich term in the Bible. And the principal components of this term are loyalty and steadfastness. So our modern term, kindness, doesn't really stress this loyalty and steadfastness. A better translation might be steadfast love. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show steadfast love to my family because I have shown steadfast love to you. Dale Ralph Davies says that there is that this is the evidence of Rahab's faith. Genuine faith never rests content with being convinced of the reality of God, but presses on in to take refuge in God. Rahab not only must know the clear truth about God, but also must escape the coming wrath of God. And it isn't just a matter of correct need, but of desperate need. Davies goes on to say that uh, saving faith, faith is always like this. It never stops brooding over the nature of activity of God, but always runs to take refuge under his wings. And I know this myself from my time when I worked in the night shelter. You know, when I felt out my depth and ill-equipped, all I had was God to get me through. All I had was to be under his wings. And it's actually now the same in ministry. I am fully at the mercy of God to equip me and to guide me through. And amazingly, Rahab not only trembles before the terror of the Lord, but also senses that there might be mercy in this fearful God. What but the touch of God's hands could create such faith in this woman? And she isn't just asking mercy for herself, but for her family too. And we don't know what her connection is to her family. Were they ordinarily dependent on her? Was she the sole breadwinner for a whole family at the margins of Jericho's society on that wall? Or were they estranged? And was her concern echoing maybe Joseph's story? Will she, like Joseph, use this chance for the benefit of a family who do not deserve it of her? As Ald points out at this time, whether her day-to-day -day relationship with her family was cordial or not, it was actually their responsibility to look after her, not the other way around. An unmarried woman, whether before marriage or after divorce, was the responsibility of her father. But whatever the case, she asked that God's mercy 
be extended to her family. Rahab's actions and her faith give encouragement to the Israelites for the spies to go back and say to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So through Rahab, we can see that God can work through anyone and in any situation. It doesn't matter what your past has been. Rahab is an example of God's grace. Her story is an example to us how God changes people's lives, completely transforming them. Our past does not matter to God. Our refuge, our church is a refuge for sinners who have been touched by the grace of God. We are all sinners who have been touched by the grace of God. Rahab's past was not an issue either for the New Testament writers. In Hebrews eleven thirty to 31, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And in James 2, 25, it says, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And Matthew, Matthew seemed to see in Rahab a trophy of divine grace, astounding that the shady lady of Jericho should be an ancestress of Jesus, the Messiah. For in Matthew 1, verse 5, it lists, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse. Now, now, often, friends, I encourage you to reach out and to share the love of the Lord with others. And this week, as I was preparing, I was asking God, I'm like, you know, what's, what's our action this week? What's our application? What have we to do? And I'm like, you know, is it, are we, are this week are we thinking about who we welcome into church? No. This week, the Lord told me something different. This week, we have to look for the rehabs in our lives. Those who God is using as an answer to our prayers. But are people that actually we would never normally engage with, never normally give time to, never normally would think that they are the answer to our prayers. People we meet maybe in the most unusual, unlikely of places, but who are, if we let them be, an answer to our prayers. Now, this last week, friends, has been tough. It was uh, full of meetings to do with presbytery planning and presbytery stuff and the National Church. And I have to say, I was a bit ground down by it all. And as I prepared for this service, the Lord reminded me of my time in the winter night shelter. And again, I was filled with that love. That love that I encountered in the most unlikely of places and the most unlikely of people. And I was reminded why I entered ministry.
So this week, friends, open yourself to allow a rehab to enter your life, to be that answer to your prayer. And in doing so, the Lord says that you will bless them too. You will bless them by bringing them closer to God. So as we think about